Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. Greetings, my good people. How are you? How's it going? What is happening? What is the latest and greatest? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's doing well as we're about to close out another month. On the eve of September, just a few weeks away from fall, summer zooming rapidly right past us, and I'm sure a lot of people would wish that 2020 could go with it as well. This has just been one of those years where, geez, uh, you can't even make it up, and we hope that it gets better before it completely falls apart. But with that being said, people, how about some sports talk? There's a lot to get into, and you've come to the right place to listen to it all here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 152 episodes, I welcome you guys back. The final day of August, the 31st in the year of our Lord, 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What to expect here on this podcast is as follows. The MLB trade deadline is today, and the Padres have been wheeling and dealing. Who would have thought that they'd be buyers in this market? As they're 21-15 and 15 as of right now, looking to not only make a splash, but also secure a spot in the postseason for the first time in 14 years We'll go over a couple of the moves that they made, as well as some possible trades that could happen over the course of the next four hours. I don't think there's going to be a lot. I'll explain why later on. We'll also get into the NFL, as it's now 10 days away. So starting tomorrow, or really right now, you can count them on your fingers as to how close we are at getting to an NFL season, which will kick off in Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium, where the Chiefs will defend their Super Bowl title. There has been something that's flown under the radar during this preseason that a lot of people have not talked about, and that's something I will bring up later on as we're just a week and a half away from the NFL season. I'll also get into the U.S. Open as today the second, which should have been the final Grand Slam of 2020, starts today. And with the men's, it looks like it's going to be Novak Djokovic as the heavy favorite, but there may be a couple of guys in line to upset that apple cart. I'll get into that as well as Serena Williams looking to see if she could get back on the Grand Slam winning circuit as she hasn't done so in her last eight Grand Slams, but there is some stiff competition despite six of the top 10 women's rankings in the world will not be at Flushing Meadows. So we'll touch on that. Everything that's happening in the NBA and NHL postseason Unfortunately, a lot of untimely deaths over the course of the last couple of days. My hero and zero of the week. But I'm going to start off this podcast twofold. One, I'm in a little bit of a testy mood. And who would have thought after yesterday where the beginning of my day and the end of my day was as good as it could possibly get, but sandwiched in the middle was just a mud sandwich. Just a ton of mud, some rocks, dirt, etc., So I'm certainly not feeling great when it comes to my sports world. And just to quickly run down, the Celtics kicked off their second round series against the Toronto Raptors in convincing fashion, did not trail throughout the whole game, winning 112-94. And I said to myself, wow, this is a great way to get my day started. And then who would have thought if you fast forward about nine hours later where the New York Islanders are now one win away from making the conference finals for the first time in 27 years as they beat the Flyers, to even think that they're steamrolling right now and even say that is mind-boggling, to say the least, with the way this team has performed over the years. But again, can't get carried away, can't get too high, too low, got to stay right in the middle there. But that mud sandwich in the middle with the New York Mets, and I understand people are probably sick and tired of me talking about them. I get it. I understand. Who cares about the Mets? J Reels, they suck. They're terrible. Their organization is inept. But there is. Remember we talked about the sun shining at some point? It looks like there's going to be some sunshine somewhere down the road, and I'm going to get into that a little bit later on. But what I'm going to do here is really get us started with the recap of what took place last Wednesday where the Milwaukee Bucks walked out as the rest of the NBA did, the WNBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, etc. And all you need to do is go to my 
Instagram account. For those who do not follow me on social media, you could go to the J Reels podcast on Instagram, as well as my Facebook page. I posted a 15-minute video on Friday recapping the 48 hours that took place in the NBA. And pretty much what I said then, which I'll say now, and summarize it and then move on, is with the teams walking out, tired of everything that's going on, and of course this is in light of the shooting by the police in Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin last Sunday, where the Bucks, like I said, just 40 miles away from Milwaukee without a whimper. Didn't say anything, didn't inform the league, officials, etc., where they just weren't coming out. And it took the league and the sports world by storm and by surprise to the tune of Major League Baseball canceling games, the NHL canceling games, the WNBA, obviously. And what we're left to surmise here is you only hope because that's what a lot of the people, including myself at the top of this program, we want to have hope, we want to believe, etc. But when it comes to police brutality and social injustice in this country, the hope has gone out the window. There needs to be some action. And I thought for a split second on Wednesday night or even Thursday morning where the rumors had it coming out of the bubble where the Lakers and the Clippers were ready to forego the season with everything that's gone on. And I thought to myself, I said, could it be possible that LeBron James would show up in Kenosha, Wisconsin or at the steps of the White House to protest, to discuss and make everybody aware that this is a serious issue and hopefully somehow, some way that this could be ironed out and We'll get some justice at some point, whether it's for Jacob Blake or Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, etc. As we know, that did not happen. The playoffs resumed here over the weekend, which we'll get into in a little bit. But the one thing that the NBA, as much as they sent a message, they did not make a statement. And even though that they've come up with a plan between the players, even the owners, whether it's voting and opening all the arenas in the cities where the franchises play for voting come late October into November or advertisements on NBA playoff games when it comes to social justice, racial inequality, etc. Also looking at the community affairs for the NBA and what they're going to do in all these cities to raise awareness and push the message out and the word as far as everything that's going on in this country pretty much forever, but even more so just in this year alone. And the one thing that I said in the video then, and I'll just say it briefly now, is that we hope to see that action. And I'll even say this, we better see action. Because for so long, we could throw money at the situation, we could march, we could do all the things that will impact, hopefully, the state officials, city officials, everything that's going on with the local governments, the government in particular, uh, you go down the list. And finally seeing that change. And we understand it's not going to happen overnight. We get that it's not going to happen in a week. We understand that there is an election day coming up, which is the biggest, arguably the biggest one in the history of this country. But myself as a sports fan and witnessing what had taken place and watching, listening, etc. Again, we could cross our fingers and hope that the change comes. But when I looked at the three things that they mentioned, how the NBA is going to do it. And mind you, it had only been about 24 hours when they had made the announcement as far as what they're going to do. But now, because it's public, we want to see how this is going to play out. So if that means that NBA alumni are going to go into these cities to raise awareness, as far as the arenas when it comes to voting is concerned, how that's going to take place and that it's not going to be interrupted by, dare I say, the president of this country or local officials, state officials, etc. We all know about the voter oppression that goes on in this country. And sadly, we could see that raise its ugly head despite the fact that what the NBA and some of the other leagues may want to do to try to avert that. And then, like I mentioned, as far as the PSAs or the advertisements when it comes to commercials in regards to voting and police brutality, social injustice, etc. I know the NBA... Ratings have been low. They have not been high. And unless they're going to put this on primetime for ABC or some of the top networks out there, if you're watching, I can't even tell you what's on TV right now because I do not watch TV. So whatever the hot TV show is at the moment on NBC, I don't know, Chicago Fire, Chicago MD, if you're going to put those ads during those programs, 
that's going to make any type of impact, that's what they need to do. Not just during an NBA game or a baseball game or a hockey game. That's not going to work. You got to make sure that the message is going to be sent everywhere. HGTV, ESPN, TNT, even the Cartoon Network. That's where you're going to get the impact. And let's see if they do that. And that was the problem that I had with the whole issue about them not making a statement. Because they got to put that plan into action. I understand it's going to take a little bit of time. It's not like it's magic wand and you're going to have it all appear and everything's going to be fixed. But how many times have you seen, time after time after time, we're going to implement this change, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then it falls on deaf ears or we don't see any change that's happening. And then it's like, oh, we dropped the ball. Or, oh, hey, wait. We are getting to that. Uh-uh. That's where the change has to come. It has to be immediate. It has to be swift. And therefore, if you want to go back and watch the video, I get into greater detail about it. But for those who didn't watch it, that's just a summary of how I felt about what took place with the NBA and all the other leagues on top of that. And one other thing I'm going to say, and I also threw in the sports fan, because the sports fan was one that I certainly... I'm going to put to task because for all the people who like sports, love sports on social media, when they talk about, oh, I'm tired of the NBA and their message. Here we go again with this. Oh, I'm tired of these spoiled athletes. They're criticizing LeBron left and right. Well, bring that same energy to the NFL because you know there are going to be multiple players kneeling. They're going to be, you're going to see it throughout the whole year. And the NBA has only 12 players. And for whatever the reason, people hate LeBron James. I don't know why. But let me see that same energy for Patrick Mahomes if he kneels. Or the same energy for Aaron Rodgers if he kneels. Or any other player that you follow or you wear the jersey of. Let me see that same energy. And if you're going to post it on social media that, oh, now the NFL's up to it. I'm done with the NFL. All right, so that means no fantasy football. No gambling on games. Don't watch the games. Don't buy the apparel. Whenever they have fans in buildings, which that's a controversy in its own right. Nah, do not participate at all. Throw out all your privileges. If you're so disturbed by everything that's happening with the message that's being sent by these leagues, and particularly the NBA, and who knows, the NFL's on deck, then don't watch. Don't even bother. Don't even pick up a newspaper. Don't click online. Do not. Do our sports fans a favor. Because the NFL, which gets a pass time after time after time, over and over, and that's a league that I've been disgusted and frustrated with over the years. If you've listened to me, or haven't listened to me, Roger Goodell is public enemy number one but that's not what i want to get into the point of the matter is is that if you're so disgusted and so angry and so bitter about everything that's happening not only with the message that's being sent but everything that's happening in this country and you're just sick and tired of it then don't watch please do us all a favor so that's what i say about that but we all know what happened last week whether all the games that were canceled you know dom smith of the mets his emotional interview that he had you don't have a heart if you looked at that kid and watched just the tears stream down his eyes for all the pain and the suffering that he's had to endure and his people had to endure for the last 400 plus years but at the same time it's not even about that i don't want to get it all wrapped up about what's happening with this country i've talked about it before and i understand it's important i'm not trying to dismiss it or deflect by any stretch of imagination because i want to do want to talk sports but because this ties into everything that had transpired since last wednesday I just felt it was important just to get it out right off the bat. You want to see the video, as I mentioned, please feel free. I just wanted to highlight everything that happened that day. And which was ironic because four years to the day was when Colin Kaepernick first knelt, which caused an uproar, as we all know. Again, it was just something that put it out front and center, get it out in the open, and then we'll just dive into sports. So... Whether your name is Naomi Osaka, who will be playing in the U.S. Open, who bowed out of her tournament there, was at the Western and Southern Open. As you know, she's biracial. Kenny Smith walking off the set of TNT, showing solidarity to the players. And I get that people are fed up, whether they're fed up about what's happening in this country, how it just seems to unravel by the second, or fed up with the message. But the bottom line is this. It needs to be fixed. And hopefully, we'll start seeing some change a lot sooner than much later. All right, let's get to the playoffs. We'll start off with the NBA, and then I'll turn my attention to the NHL. The East is already set to the point where you have Miami and Milwaukee will play game one today. I talked a little bit about Boston being Toronto, one nothing in their series, 112-94, where the Celtics, they just dominated from start to finish, and a lot of people think that 
there's a team that could be off and running and certainly challenge the Bucks. I got to see it and then believe it. But that's for another day, another story, hopefully. But when we look at what's happening out West, we may have two rivalries that are budding in the very near future when it comes to the Clippers and Mavericks, as well as the Nuggets and Jazz. Because what you've seen there in both of those series where the Clippers wrapped up their first round against the Dallas Mavericks, you had a lot going on in that series, going back to game one where Porzingis got ejected as he got in the middle of that skirmish there. We know about the Doncic three last week in overtime to get the series even at 2-2. Paul George's finally awoken from his playoff slumber to the tune of what was it, 155 points. But you also had an incident with Marcus Morris stepping on Doncic's ankle where Doc Rivers called it absurd. Obviously, the Mavericks players didn't feel that way. And we know that the ankle was been a sore spot for Doncic early in that series. And then yesterday in the first quarter where you had Marcus Morris hack Doncic underneath the basket. Flagrant two gets ejected. Of course, Doncic didn't like the play. The Clippers went on to win. And now they look forward to their next round where it's going to be between the Nuggets and Jazz. And that series has now gone seven games where from one game to the next, if it's not... Donovan Mitchell being the hero for the Utah Jazz is Jamal Murray being that same guy for the Denver Nuggets. And you saw that there yesterday, 50 points. They're going to push that to a game seven. Who would have thought that it would have even gone to this point? To think if Donovan Mitchell did not have that eight-second violation in game one, they probably would have already would have won the series and wrapped it up and look forward to playing the Clippers right now. But now they have to sweat out a game seven. Obviously, no home court advantage. So it's pretty much a toss-up. You would think maybe a slight edge to Denver going into this Game 7, which will be tomorrow. And you're West right now with the way the Lakers have performed and bounced back nicely after losing Game 1. And then you look at the Clippers putting their feet up at least for another night as both LA teams await to see who they're going to match up in OKC and Houston, which is the final series out West where the Rockets have a three-game-to-two lead against the Thunder. And chances are that may go 7 They'll play game six there tonight after game one of Milwaukee and Miami, which will be 6.30 Eastern. And when you're looking at this first round, it's good to know that you're going to have a game seven and you may have two game sevens when it's all said and done, but not really an exciting first round when you look at the big picture here. And we understand that first rounds in the NBA, you're not going to get thrilling series. You're not going to get series that are going to stretch out to seven games unless you get those four, five or three, six matchups as we've seen right here. And I would think that the NBA would want to have the Rockets and Thunder go to a seventh game because, as I said before, they need eyeballs to the sets. And even though the Rockets and Thunder aren't going to tickle the NBA world's fancy, but when you have star power with Chris Paul and James Harden, we're going to see about Russell Westbrook as he looked great in practice. He has that explosiveness back. So we'll see if the NBA could kind of take off here in the next couple of days leading into the conference semifinals and hope for a better output come the second round. But right now, it has not been enthralling, to say the least. Now, the Dallas Clipper series, you had your moments there. And like I said, you may have a rivalry in the making with those two teams. The same with Utah and Denver. So if there is anything you want to wrap your arms around, you can look at those two series as teams that may be fiercely competitive over the next few years. But again, maybe other than the Clippers and Dallas because of the young stars, but Utah and Denver, a lot of people aren't going to gravitate to because they play in cities and markets that aren't the New Yorks, the Chicago's, the LA's. We know Dallas is a huge market. Obviously, LA, you get the picture. And who knows what's going to happen here in the second round. You would think Milwaukee's just going to, I'm not going to say they're going to blitz right through the heat. I'll say the Bucks in six. I'll give Miami a couple of games because of their tenacity. Jimmy Butler's will. Spolstra, you know, their team has been clicking. Now, mind you, they beat an Indiana team, which got swept for the second straight year. And unfortunately, Nate McMillan lost his job in the process. And unfairly, because he didn't have a healthy Oladipo, Sabonis was out. It was just tough sledding for that team once they got into the bubble and into the postseason. So that's not to say I'm an apologist for him, but at the same time, Indiana, maybe they pulled the plug a little bit too soon. And they just gave him an extra year extension just a few weeks ago so to me why even do that if you knew going into this 
postseason, you want to give him his break to see, hey, does he go seven games in the first round? Can he make it to a second round? No, they just felt as if, well, swept, and that was it. And it's not as if they got blown out in each of those games either. But that's what you got there with uh, McMillan. And then you wonder, with the Clippers, and a lot of people think it's going to be Clippers-Lakers, which is still well down the road, and we can't get that far ahead. But you wonder if Paul George has finally gotten out of that slumber that I mentioned earlier. He had a horrific slump in those first four games, and he snapped out of it in that game five, which was big. And even addressed anxiety after that game, being in the bubble, just pretty much being to himself, his thoughts, a little depressed. And this is something that you have to keep an eye on. I'm not saying that George is, you know, knock on wood, that something drastic isn't going to happen. But you got to think, these guys have been in the bubble now, going on two months. And without any outside contact in the world, family, friends, kids, etc. I'm sure it's got to be difficult for these players. And you would think the Clippers, they still have obviously the next round to go to and maybe even a conference final round. And who knows if they even get to an NBA final. Uh, this could be tough sledding for teams that are going to be in it for the long haul and how they're going to deal with being in this bubble. Whether it's everything that's happening outside of the bubble with all the stuff that I mentioned about five to ten minutes ago. But at the same time, it's just something that the players as professionals, they're going to have to deal with, unfortunately. And hopefully it doesn't get any worse than what it already is. So that's pretty much the NBA and what I have there. Not really a lot of juicy storylines or anything to get yourself into. As far as the Celtic-Toronto series, this is going to be a long series. Don't look at yesterday's game as, oh boy, Toronto's in trouble. Now, mind you, I understand that the Celtics have beaten Toronto now four or five times this year. But in the past, they certainly have not fared well. I know I mentioned this last week, but who knows? Maybe the Celtics are ready to take that next step. It'll be great to see if that would be the case. Now, we know Gordon Hayward's not going to be back probably until the next round if the Celtics get that far. And it'll probably be late in that round at that time. But right now, with the way they've been playing, you got to like what you see with the Celtic team. And hopefully, they can just continue to build on this. Uh, That's all I could say. I mean, when you look at this team with the youth of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and then with Kemba Walker, and even a guy like Daniel Tice, who's a mucker, he's a guy that... We'll play defense. He's not going to be confused with Bill Russell, of course. But at the same time, he's a guy that's certainly a glue guy on that team. We all know about Marcus Smart, who had a big game there yesterday. He's even more the glue guy. A lot of people will look at him as the heart and soul of that team. So when you have that mix there, it could go a long way in the postseason once everything is gelling and clicking on all cylinders. We saw that two years ago, if you remember, without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. So let's see if they can recapture that and hopefully take it to the next level here in this uh, NBA postseason. But that's what I have there with the NBA. Now, let me transition to what's going on in the ice. And what the NHL is experiencing right now is, let's face it, call it as I see it, it's an out-and-out disaster. It's a calamity because you're looking at four series right now that are 3-1. And we know the NHL, unlike the NBA, could turn on a dime. All right, we've seen that with Utah-Denver, where Utah was up 3-1 and now Denver's even the series. But with the NHL, there have been a lot of teams that have come back from 3-1 deficits. But with the way these teams are performing right now, whether you're the New York Islanders or the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Dallas Stars, it looks like they're a full steam ahead, ready to go on to a next round. And if you're Gary Bettman and company, when you're looking at a Final Four of New York, Tampa, and Vegas and Dallas, I'm sure that's not what you drew up at the start of the postseason. We understand that the Islanders are not the Rangers. They're not an original six team. You would think, and not to... Look that far down the road. But they would hope to have an exciting final. And I'm sure Tampa Bay will bring the hockey fan to the sets. And they won't even bring the Islander fans. I mean, please. What happened during that cup run in the 80s was a million years ago. So even the sports fan, they're not going to look at the Islanders and say, oh, wait, I got to check out the Islanders because for nostalgic sake. No, that's not going to happen. But the one thing that you are looking at here, if you're the commissioner of the sport is hoping that these series could go as close to seven games, if not all, because you're going to have a conference final that we know hockey's competitive and it's going to be tooth and nail and scratch and claw, etc. But it's certainly not going to be the sexy matchup that they envisioned or imagined. And who knows how many people are going to be watching closely to see a Islander Lightning series as well as a Golden Knight Star series. 
As we've seen so far, Tampa has come back from losing game one the way they did. They've stormed back one in overtime in game two, blitzed them in game three, seven to one, and then winning a game four where you had a little controversy there that hit there on Yanni Gord from Nick Ritchie. A lot of people think that Ritchie should be suspended for it as per head coach of Tampa Bay, John Cooper. But we'll see how that does, shakes down as the Bruins are right now on life support. The big season looks like it's uh, ready to go south. And let's see if they have any gas in the tank to come back to make it a 3-2 series and try to get the equalizer there later on in the week. And for the Islanders, I've been shocked. I didn't think, listen, I thought that they were going to lose to the Capitals in the first round. And here they are. I thought they were going to lose to the Flyers, not using a reverse jinx, but here they are, 3-1. We know that final game is always a tough one. Just look at the previous series where they were up 3-0 and they couldn't get the sweep there against the Capitals. But the way the Islanders have played, Varmalov got pulled in game two after down 3 nothing, and they stormed back. And we know the Islanders are not an offensive team to say the least, but for them, I think what was key was them coming back in that game. And even though they lost in overtime and it was tough, but knowing that they could come back and knowing that they have a little bit of firepower. And you got to thank Jean-Gabriel Peugeot. He's had a tremendous pro season. Had a big goal there yesterday. Had a goal in that comeback there in game two. So that trade has paid off mightily for an island team that's just desperate for scoring. We know about Brock Nelson and Andrews Lee and even Anthony Beauvillier, who's had a tremendous postseason as well. But the Islanders, they cannot take the pedal off the metal. They got to continue to apply the pressure, keep moving forward. A game five there tomorrow. You even had Thomas Grice come in there. We had that tremendous second period with 16 saves when you thought that the game could have gotten out of hand there. But Barry Trotz has pushed all the right buttons to this point, and they were just one win away from going to a conference final for the first time in 27 years. Which to even say that is just mind-blowing. Remember, the Islander team lost to the Montreal Canadiens, which was the last time they won a Stanley Cup. And the Canadians are the Celtics of the sport, or the Yankees of the sport. So we'll see how that unfolds there tomorrow. And in the two series out west, we talked about the controversy last week with Vegas and the goaltenders with Robin Leonard and... Marc-Andre Fleury, but with the back-to-back games and obviously the end-of-the-week protest where we didn't have hockey games Thursday and Friday, he had Robin Leonard pitch a shutout there on Saturday, followed by Marc-Andre Fleury, who did give up three goals and was down 3-2 going into the third period, but the Golden Knights struck with three goals in in their own right, and they went ahead to win 5-3, so now they have the Canucks on the ropes, and the same for the Colorado Avalanche, who even though they came back In a game three, to make things interesting, they were down 2-0, and they were actually up 3-1, then down 4-3 midway through the third period in that game number three, but they stormed back to win 6-4. But then Dallas has just come back to take the stranglehold of the series lead, three games to one. They were up 5-2, they made it close late, and hung on to win 5-4. Again, I can't stress it enough, if you're the NHL, You're just hoping that these series get extended to seven games. I understand if all these series close out in the next day or so, they could just move on to the conference final. We all know that both scenarios, NBA and NHL, no coronavirus, positive tests, which is good. We all know that the bubble works. And I'm sure that the NHL would probably want to move on in the likelihood of anything, of any player contracting COVID. But I don't think that'd be the case. But if they want to have any drama, if they want to have any type of juice moving forward especially in this round they're going to have to have these teams start to lose and of course I don't want to see my Islanders lose but unfortunately that's just the way the cookie has crumbled here for the NHL this postseason and we're just going to have to wait and see if these teams going into a decisive and clinching series victories if they're going to come out on the losing end to extend these series any longer than five games one thing I forgot to mention last week the Capitals let go of their coach Todd Reardon after their first round loss to the Islanders, losing in five. So Reardon didn't even make it two years after Trotz winning the Stanley Cup, moving his hardware, not necessarily the cup, but just his cup ring up to Long Island slash Brooklyn. So Reardon didn't even make it out two seasons without being canned. So we'll see where the Capitals go from here as far as their head coach is concerned. All right, now to turn my attention to baseball. And as I mentioned at the top, how the Padres have been wheeling and dealing here right before the trade deadline. 
And I thought that there wasn't going to be a lot as far as player movement. Of course, you're going to see players move, probably some relievers for teams that are looking for some bullpen help or maybe a bat, but nothing of immediate impact. Maybe a guy that could use slot him in there, a la Mitch Moreland, who went from Boston to San Diego. And the Padres also received Trevor Rosenthal from the Royals, who was the one-time reliever of the back in the day, St. Louis Cardinals, and then had bounced around and was just awful last year for the Washington Nationals. At one point, he pitched in three games. I think his ERA was infinite. Well, the Padres, you talk about making a splash. Just minutes ago, they have agreed to acquire Mike Clevenger from the Cleveland Indians, and they sent back a few pitchers and some minor league prospects. We all know that the Padres do have a very deep and rich farm system. So they figured, heck with this. Let's push all our chips to the middle of the table They got themselves a guy that they could rely on as an ace who could go in there in a game one, take the ball, and put themselves in a good position to win a game or win a key game in a big spot. Now, Clevenger, he doesn't have the track record, but we know the way he's pitched over the last couple of years. And mind you that he had this falling out in the last few weeks with the whole situation in Chicago, how he didn't tell the front office or his manager that he was out in the town in Chicago with Zach Plesak where he could have infected the whole team by his peccadillo and not even a peccadillo, just a major error on his part where thankfully the team was not infected. But the Padres not only send Cal Quantrill and Austin Hedges the catcher, but also Josh Naylor and three minor league prospects. This just goes to show you that the Padres are all in. Now, can they make a push for the NL West? Remains to be seen because the Dodgers... Closed out a month where they hit 57 home runs, the most in franchise history. And as we all know, we need to see this in October. Because we could see all this here in August, September. But we know it doesn't really matter until we get to where the money's on the line. But give it up to the Padres for doing what they did here. Just a remarkable job by their GM, A.J. Preller. He knows that with everything, the way the season has come to fruition, with the blossoming play of Fernando Tatis Jr., And knowing that they have a farm system where they could deal off chips to bring back some big-time talent. And they certainly did that here with this trade with Clevenger. And the Padres, as I mentioned at the top, have not made it to the postseason in 14 years. And remember, this whole transformation started a couple years ago when they signed Eric Hosmer to that long-term deal. We know about Manny Machado. It turned out to be nothing. But to Tatis, to have him on the team, is now looking to take it to the next level. And I'm not going to put it all on Tatis Jr. He's a young guy. Right now, probably the odds-on favorite to win the NL MVP for what that's worth in this 60-game season. But with the Padres, you got to look at them as serious contenders right now. And you could only hope that they could put it together if you're in Southern California, two hours south of LA, because we all know the Dodger fans have been salivating and craving for that championship for the first time in 31 years, now 32 But as we know, the Padres have only made two World Series in their lifetime, one being against the 84 Tigers, and we know how great they were, and then the other was the 98 Yankees, and they're arguably one of the greatest teams of all time. So good for them for making a big splash and getting a big-time pitcher. Let's see how that works for them in the short term as we get that much closer to October. But before I even get to some other things, as far as the trade deadline itself, I'm not expecting a lot. I'd be shocked if there are going to be some big names being traded. I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head right now who are the hot guys that are going to be rumored. You would figure that's going to be some reliever that's out there that a team's going to try to pluck away. So let's say if you're Tampa, some, a team like that, maybe even Houston, who knows? They've surprised at the deadline in the past by getting Justin Verlander in 2017 when that obviously helped them to win a World Series that year. Whether you want to say they cheated or not, that's a whole other story to get into. But I don't see that type of deal happening here between now and 4 p.m. Eastern where it's going to shift the balance of baseball. I'd be shocked. We all know that the way the season has started, the way it's just a sprint, I don't think players are going to be packaged Now, give it up for the Padres. As I said, give them credit because they knew it's been a long time. But knowing that Cleveland is making this trade, it's almost as if they're punting the rest of the season. And they're still in the mix. That's the thing. It's not as if Cleveland is, you know, 11 and 21. 
They're still right in the thick of things in the AL Central. And who knows, with the way things are playing out, you would think that they're going to make the postseason. But unless that one team is looking to take it to the next level, and I'm not trying to say a blockbuster deal as far as bringing a superstar player back or a guy that is just going to be a reinforcement, a guy that's going to be a good bat, a good glove, and even a good starting pitcher or a reliever. And who knows, with the Yankees, Brian Cashman's always known to pull a rabbit out of his hat. I wouldn't be surprised if he was in the mix of trying to get Clevenger, but I'm sure the Indians didn't want to help the Yankees by any stretch. But who knows, with the way baseball and some of these teams have fallen by the wayside, so whether you're Washington and some of the teams, if you're going to look at baseball, I'm sure the Angels may want to unload. Who knows, a guy like Julio Tehran, who only signed a one-year deal, but maybe to a team that is looking to get a third or fourth starter, or maybe even use them out of the bullpen, who knows. But that's what we're going to look at here over the next few hours. And of course, at the end of this podcast, I'll post whatever happens with the trade deadline on my social media accounts so you could keep yourself up to date abreast of what's happening with the trade deadline, which is just a few hours away. Now, I have to talk about the tease that is the New York Mets real quick. And I get that this is probably for the Met fan or for the anti-Met fan or somebody who's just looking for a laugh because... Anytime I talk about this team, and I'll try to keep this as I'm looking at the timer here, I'll try to keep this within five minutes. So just bear with me, people. This has just been another ugly week for the Mets. Really an ugly few days when you look at what happened there on Thursday with Brody Van Wagenen calling out the commissioner on a hot mic, similar to Tom Brenneman the week before that got him in trouble and not working on Cincinnati Red Games. But with his comments and then to follow that up with Jeff and Fred stating their feelings and releasing a statement about how Brody's views do not coincide with how we view Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred, the commissioner, he's apologized. We certainly don't condone all that stuff. I mean, they pretty much, and they had to. So, of course, they're going to play the side to the commissioner who works for them. And Brody, as I've said weeks ago, if you listen to that podcast, he cannot get out here faster than you could put him in a car or in a Porsche and just step on the gas and get him out of City Field. And for him to have a mea culpa, it just looks bad on him. Bad on the organization, of course. And then you look at the weekend and how that shaped up. Five games in three days, two doubleheaders, Friday and Sunday. And who would have thought that the Mets would not only sweep their first doubleheader in Subway Series play, but to do it in the fashion that they did. Walking off at Yankee Stadium, which is that's just 2020 in a nutshell when it comes to sports. And then the first game, down 4 nothing and 4-1 in the sixth, and they came back to win that game with three homers in the sixth inning. And that was a shock, too, because I thought they were going to lose that game. Now, mind you, Saturday's game was a little bit of a bummer. And, all right, you understand, tough game, tough loss, no worries. Let's just go back out there on Sunday and see if they can win one of two to win the series. And then they're going to make up the final game of the six games on Thursday at City Field, thank God. Not that that's going to be any better. But my point is, is that when you go into the yesterday's game, And you look at what had taken place in the ninth inning of the first game. Now, what they did in the first game on Friday, they just gave it back yesterday. They had a 7-2 lead in the ninth inning, one on and two outs. Then you had a walk, a hit batsman, and a base hit. In comes Edwin Diaz, and you could check the receipts. I said weeks ago that if this guy pitches in the ninth inning again, which we talked about last week, how he's been anointed as the closer again, where he's going to come into the ninth inning, especially against the Yankees, let's say up 3-2, 4-2 in the ninth inning and has to face Judge, Torres, and Stanton. Well, mind you, he didn't have to face those guys. And the Yankee lineup, if you look at him now, you think you're watching a split squad exhibition game. Half of these guys you don't even know. Half of these guys you haven't even seen. And lo and behold, bring in Diaz, 7-4. He throws a wild pitch. Run scores, and then gives up a two-run homer to Aaron Hicks. Now, can you make it up? And I'm not going to go down the Diaz road. All you got to do is go back a few weeks. Just look at one of the headlines. Go to the archives and check on that podcast where I destroyed Brody. I destroyed Diaz, etc. And then, mind you, in the bottom of the sixth, there were wholesale changes throughout the, the defense in the infield where they put Andres Jimenez at third, and he was the one that had the costly error that started this whole thing, even with two outs after that. But he had J.D. Davis, who actually has played pretty well at third base over the course of the weekend. Now, I understand you may not trust him over the course of 60 games, but had played well defensively this weekend. And obviously his error was critical 
for the Met collapse there in the ninth inning. And one other thing I'm going to add to this is that weeks ago, that whole Fernando Tatis, his team is up 10-3, to bases loaded, a 3-0 count in the eighth inning, and he hit a grand slam, and everybody was in uproar. And even me, being the traditionalist old school guy, I was like, ah, you know, he probably should have done that. Well, I think moving forward, I'm going to change my tune, only because I've seen within 11 months, because last September, I saw the Mets blow a six-run lead in the ninth inning to the Washington Nationals, where Diaz gave up a home run to Kurt Suzuki, of all people. And then I have to watch them blow a five-run lead in the bottom of the seventh inning against the most hated team that I would never root for if my life depended on it in the Yankees and to see them spit the bit and then they lose in extras, which was really the bottom of the eighth inning where they got a hit from Gio Urshela. Uh, you just can't make it up. So how I look at this is that let them pile on as much as they can. And mind you, I didn't even talk about in the sixth inning when Conforto had the hit to make it 6-2. They had bases loaded, nobody out. And he only got one more run after that where Alonso got hit by a pitch and the run scored. So even at 6-2, top six, where they had bases loaded, nobody out, and they could have broken the game wide open, they didn't do so. And what happens? They lose 8-7. As I've said before, and I'll say it again, the Mets find ways to invent and reinvent chances and ways to lose. Bottom line. And in the second game, what can you say? Sanchez... Top of the eighth inning, because remember now the Mets are the home team. Top of the eighth inning, bases loaded. The guy's batting 123. And we understand Sanchez, he is always a runner in scoring position whenever he's at the plate, even if he's batting 123. So what does he do? He hits a grand slam. And I understand that overshadows David Garcia in his debut, 21-year-old, where he was excellent in the game, gave up an unearned run, struck out six, didn't walk anybody, drawing praise from Pedro Martinez, so who knows, the Yankees may have a star, and a lot of people think that Garcia is going to be a star, but with him being young and with the way baseball is in 2020 with all these double headers, and that's another thing too, with the bullpens being taxed and pitching just being thin as it is, anytime you have a lead, whether it's a 5-run, 7-run, 10-run lead, it's never safe. Moving forward, after witnessing this yesterday and then last year with the Nationals, if you're a Met fan... I don't care if it's 17-0 in the top of the ninth and have bases loaded. If it's a 3-0 pitch, swing. Because A, I can never trust that bullpen and their pitching. And with the Mets, you just never know. So unlike football, where I get there's a code running up the score, things of that nature. I've never been a big proponent of that. Unless you're, as I like to refer, the late Sam Weiss of the Cincinnati Bengals. That 61-7 onside kick against Jerry Glanville. But that was more personal than anything. And to me, that's just, that's running it up. That's just Bush League stuff. But in baseball, forget about the code. I don't care. If it's 8-1, to one, ninth inning, steal a base. Who cares? Yeah, yeah I may look at me like, eh. But uh, all I got to do is look to the two games that I've seen. The Mets blow a five-run and a six-run lead in the ninth inning all within 11 months. So that's what we got there. But there is some good news. And the good news is this. The Mets look like they're going to have a deal. So my memo to Fred and Jeff Wilpon, don't screw this up. Steve Cohen is the guy who looks like is close to buying the team. I know A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez, and Jennifer Lopez released a statement there on Twitter Friday night saying that they did everything it took to try to get the Mets. They wanted to be the first minority owners, the first woman owner in baseball. I believe that was a team that Jennifer Lopez's dad loved in the Mets. But they pulled their bid, and supposedly the bid was higher than what it originally was, but no good, as Steve Cohen is going to be the guy, fingers crossed, toes crossed, eyes crossed, that all I's are dotted and T's are crossed for Steve Cohen to buy this team and take this organization to a level that we haven't seen in quite some time. And I'm just going to leave it at that, so we could just move on, because I, I just have had enough. Now, as far as the rest of baseball... We had the White Sox, Lucas Giolito pitches first no-hitter against the Pirates there during the middle of the week. So we got to see that. I believe he threw 100 pitches. Also, Albert Pujols is now third all-time in RBIs. 2090 he has, but he eclipsed Alex Rodriguez, who was at 2086 with his 2087 RBI. I believe that was on Monday. And give it up to Adam Wainwright, Pujols' his former teammate, where he threw a complete game yesterday on his 39th birthday. So that's also... And I can't believe he's 39. So to think, and that... Game 7 against the Mets in 2006, he was 25. You'd think he was 21, 22, and he'd be in his mid-30s, but he's getting up there in age, but he's still effective, even with 
Tommy Johns and bad shoulders, good for him. As St. Louis, although a game on the 500, is in second place in the NL Central. And as we segue that to the standings real quick, when you see the National League, we know about the East and the way that has been playing out where the Braves are still in first place. Same for the Marlins when you look at that. They're also a game on the 500, tied with the Phillies for second place in the NL East, followed by the Mets and the Nationals. So that could be a fight to second place between... Miami, Philly, and the Mets. We'll see if they're going to make any type of adjustments or reinforcements. I'd be surprised if the Marlins do, but remember, second place gets you into the postseason. So I'm sure those teams, and first place is still reachable. You know, it's not as if it's that far away. They're only three games ahead, and the Mets still have to play the Braves again down the road. So that's one thing to look ahead if you're a Met fan, if there is any hope. In the Central, we talked about the Cardinals. As a matter of fact, they're 12-13. and 13, And even with the Brewers, just a game behind. But remember, the Cardinals still have to make up a lot of games. The Cubs have played 34 games. The Brewers have played 33 games. And the Cardinals have only played 25. So they certainly have some ground to make up. And we'll see how many games they're going to squeeze in here between now and the 27th of September. And then out west, of course, we talked about the Padres. But we know about the Dodgers, that they've been on fire. And as I said at the top, if this isn't their year to win it all, I don't know when it's going to be. Bringing in Mookie Betts. I know David Price opted out. Their pitching isn't what you want it to be, and as well as their bullpen, but we know their offense is just a juggernaut. So we'll see how the Dodgers, if they're going to make any moves here right before the deadline, just to make sure that they could get some sort of security, whether it's in the bullpen or even another arm for that matter, to get themselves locked and ready for, for them a deep October and then in the American League, we have Tampa, who comes into New York again to play the Yankees for three games, which will be interesting because they could really put a dent in the Yankee season right here. Because with just one month to go, not to say they're going to come in and sweep, but if they win two out of three and keep the Yankees at bay, they could certainly put themselves in a position to win an American League East. But the Yankees are going to be fine, even with Toronto playing well, and they're just a game behind them in the American League East. But as I mentioned earlier, to go to the Central with the Indians at 21-13, and 13, they traded Clevenger away. And with the Twins flailing here, losing five in a row, but the White Sox have performed well with their young players, that's certainly going to be tooth and nail to the end to see who's going to come out with the top two spots in the Central to make it to the postseason. And you would think that even if they happen to have the third best record in that division, they're probably going to come out as one of the two wild cards in the American League. Because when you look at the rest of the league, even the A's, I know the A's and Astros had a brawl earlier this week. I didn't really pay too much attention to that. But the Astros are inching closer to the top spot. Remember, the A's had a five and a half game lead at one point a couple weeks back. But they will be in good position to make it to the postseason. Because right now, when you look at both of the leagues real quick, the Rays, Yankees, even, I'm going to include the Twins, they're going to make it to the postseason. And then Houston and Oakland. So pretty much what you're looking at here. And then Toronto, you think it's going to make the postseason. There's your eight teams. Because you can forget about Baltimore, forget about Boston. Detroit, although they had played well up until recently until losing five in a row, they're going to fall apart. Forget about the Royals and the Mariners, Rangers, and Angels. They're already out to sea when it comes to this season. So those could be your eight teams there. So it's a matter of just positioning and seeding. As far as the National League, a lot more complicated because of the Cardinal situation in the middle. Although if they are in second place, they're going to be automatically in no matter how many games they've played. But you still have the Rockies that are in the mix. You want to throw the San Francisco Giants at 17 and 19. I guess you have to only because the Marlins and Phillies and even the Mets are all under 500. You can look at the Brewers. So it's a lot more complicated in the National League than it is the American League. It's pretty much cut and dry. And it's just a matter of who's going to be placed where as far as seeding goes in the American League. So that's what you have with baseball. All right, so let me turn my attention to the NFL and then the U.S. Open before we say goodbye. The NFL right now, with 10 days being away from the start of the season, one thing that has not been discussed, one thing is obvious, and we've seen this in years past because of players not playing in the preseason, that generally the first week or two, maybe even by the third week, it takes teams a while to get their sea legs under to where they're in full game speed. And as I said before, and I'm sure you probably heard this, time after time, that you would think these first couple of weeks is going to be sluggish right out of the gate. You could simulate games, 
You've seen it on Hard Knocks if you watch. I haven't really paid close attention to it, but I did watch the last episode where a lot of the teams are, you know, they're playing their offense against their defense, which is going to be what to expect here because teams aren't going to play one another or have scrimmages or anything like that. So the one thing that's gone unnoticed and surprised that I haven't heard it in any circles and not that I wish this upon any player in any sport, in any league, but in particular the NFL because we know how violent and how much of a contact sport it is. It's more of a collision sport, if anything. Is that I would not be surprised that the injury bug these first few weeks are going to be sky high. We've seen a rash of injuries in Major League Baseball, especially with pitching. And I can see the NFL in these first few weeks, for whatever the reason, you're going to have a lot of hamstring pulls. You're going to have, a lot, God forbid, knee injuries. I could see it. Because to... Emulate the game speed in practice. And I understand. These players, you could say, Jay Reels, the players don't play in the preseason games anyway. So it's not as if they're getting a ton of reps in live action. Understood. But when you haven't been a part of a football game in so long, and when you haven't had the taste of what it's like to get that game speed under your feet, and knowing that week one, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of happy feet. There's going to be some tentativeness. There's a lot of it. And I'm sure people are going to be amped up and ready to play and ready to go. I get that. So start of a new season. But I would not be surprised if you're going to see just a rash of injuries in the NFL because of that. And I'm not even factoring COVID to be a part of it. And thankfully, COVID hasn't hit the NFL just yet as far as just a lot of positive tests on any of these teams with these players or even the coaching staff, etc. But that's just something I'm going to keep an eye on here these first couple of weeks. Yeah, the sluggish plays one thing, but if you're going to see players go down with injuries or cramps or anything like that. The cramps, of course, that could be just fluids. But even still, this is going to be a an eye-opener for a lot of these teams and who knows what it can mean for the rest of their season if some key players, whether offense or defense, on any of these contending teams go down in a heap early on in the season. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Now, as far as the NFL is concerned. We had some news come out of Jacksonville the last couple of days with the trade of Yannick Ngakwe, the defensive player that goes to defensive lineman to the Vikings for two draft picks, including a 2021 second round pick. Ngakwe, who has voiced his displeasure about the Jaguars, and they did the right thing by trading him, as well as cutting Leonard Fournette today, who had been a pain in the neck the last couple of years. It's time for them to start over. We know Tom Coughlin was dismissed last year as being VP of Football operations there. We know about the Jalen Ramsey trade to the Rams last year. Nick Foles traded this offseason. You got rid of a guy in Gakwe who didn't want to be here. And then Fournette, now you're going to start from the ground up. So here's a team that I'm sure with a guy like Gardner Minshew who has become a little bit of a character in this league, I don't know if he's going to have the talent to win consistently. That certainly remains to be seen. But Jacksonville right now, it is a, not a rebuild. It is a reconstruct down there in North Florida. So we'll see. There's going to be a long year for those guys. Chances are they're going to be thrust into the number one pick for next year, which is going to be interesting because, right, could they finally get the quarterback on one Trevor Lawrence? They absolutely could, but with no college football games, and I'll segue to that in a minute, but with no college football games and the draft, there's even players that are foregoing their years in college to put themselves ready for the NFL draft. It's the ultimate crapshoot. So we're going to see what happens there. And also another big injury for the Chargers. Derwin James, their safety who had a broken foot, if you remember last year. I believe it was a broken foot. He's going to be out with a torn meniscus. That doesn't bode well for a young defense that, as we all know, moving into a new building, a new regime for the most part with Justin Herbert and Tyrod Taylor. No Phillip Rivers for the first time in God knows how long, really since 2004. Or really it's 2006. Remember, Breeze was the quarterback then, and then he left for New Orleans and then Rivers was the guy that took over and was at the helm for the last 14 years. So you have that to deal with if you're a Charger fan. And as far as college football, it officially starts on Thursday, but no big games of note, as we know, with the conferences that are not playing, whether you're the Big Ten or the Pac-12. We know that the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC will play, but you're not going to see their game start until mid-September. This is a year where everybody's salivating at college football as we head into the holiday weekend, the final unofficial weekend of summer. And we're not going to see games in Tuscaloosa. We're not going to see games out in Southern California, USC. We're not going to see games in the swamp. 
to kick us off on this college football season. So we're going to have to wait a few weeks for those games to happen. But obviously the Pac-12 we're not going to see. But as far as the South where college football reigns supreme, we will not see that for a few more weeks. But it does officially start Thursday with some of the lesser programs in the country. And I'm sure for the diehard, they're going to be looking to find what channel or what teams are playing just to watch football for football's sake. So as far as the U.S. Open and tennis, which is pretty much 15 minutes from where I reside in Flushing Meadow, Queens, where you have six of the top 10 women's players not participating in this U.S. Open, backing out, I'm sure, mostly for COVID reasons. So you kind of wonder as far as who could be the favorite for the women's, because the men's, which we'll get to in a second, but that's as a slam dunk as could possibly be. A lot of people are going to look at Naomi Osaka as being the favorite, although a lot of people may rally around Serena Williams, knowing that at 39 years of age, or I believe she'll be 39 next month, but maybe she will be 40. I believe 39 next month. As she's looking for that 24th Grand Slam, which will equal the all-time record with Margaret Court. Now, she hasn't won in her past eight Grand Slam appearances, and pretty much since the birth of her daughter, she's come close, and even by her coming close, in those matches, she's fallen apart. And the U.S. Open, which is, we all know, a big stage, there's going to be no fans in attendance, we wonder what kind of, if there is going to be any pressure on her, knowing that, not to say the fans get on her case or whatever, but bottom line is, she's going to have a clear path to get there, knowing that the top women's players aren't there other than Osaka. So I'm sure they're going to be matched on the opposite ends of the bracket. We would hope that that's the case. We won't want to see them in a quarterfinal, even a semifinal. We would only hope that it's Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams at the final. I don't have the bracket in front of me, so I don't know if that's the case. But let's hope to see that. We can't forget Coco Goff. She's another one who has been a darling here over the last year and a half. Could this be her rise to the occasion after her run here last year when she lost in the quarterfinal to Osaka? So we have that to look forward to as far as the women's side is concerned. And as for the men's, we know no Rafael Nadal, no Roger Federer. So this is Novak Djokovic's tournament to lose. We understand it's Dominic Time. That's a guy that could be on somebody's radar to win a U.S. Open. There's also some buzz about Daniel Medvedev as a guy that could possibly challenge a one Novak Djokovic to win the U.S. Open this year. But Djokovic has just been so steady and so dominant. And he's a guy that I certainly wouldn't bet against. So if I had to say off the top of my head, I'm going to, how could you not pick Djokovic to win this whole thing? As far as the women's side concerned, yeah, there's a part of me that wants to root for Serena. Not that I'm a big time Serena Williams fan, but why not? Let her chase history, let her get it. And who knows? Will she still continue to play? Let's say if she wins the US Open, and even though there's the French next month, but I wouldn't be surprised if this takes everything out of her Will she go back in two weeks to Roland Garros to perform at a French Open? I'm not going to say no, but would you be shocked if she doesn't? So you have a few interesting storylines here, despite the fact that you don't have two of the top three men's players on the circuit playing in this tournament, as well as the women's, as I mentioned before. But you do have some names there and some people that you could certainly sink your teeth into as far as making a long run or even winning the second Grand Slam of this year, because remember, this was supposed to be the final one, but with no Wimbledon and with the French moved for another two weeks, this is actually your second Grand Slam of the year. So that's what we got there with tennis people. And lastly, before we get to the hero and zero of the week, just a brutal weekend when it comes to deaths and sports. And I'll get to one of the that is sports-related Saturday, we had the passing of Cliff Robinson. He was the former Portland Trailblazer. He played on a bunch of teams, but most notably as a Portland Trailblazer, wore the headband. I know the players on the Trailblazers wore the headbands before Game 5 or wore them during Game 5 as a tribute to Cliff Robinson. Good player, wing player, long career, 19 years in the NBA. Passed away at the age of 53. Uh, Jeez. And I've said this time and time again. I can't even stress how many just untimely and tragic deaths that we had this year just in the world of sports alone and obviously outside of that, which I'll get to in a minute. And also news came down this morning that one time Georgetown coach John Thompson, who pretty much was one of the pillars of the Big East and put Georgetown on the map for his teams in the early 80s and his three Final Four runs in four years with one championship against Houston and we all, the other two were just crushing 
one you can understand to North Carolina Michael Jordan and the other as we all know to Villanova in that fateful April 2nd 1985 day in Lexington Kentucky age of 78 he passed away we know the impact that John Thompson had on so many people and not only that the famous towel over his shoulder on the sidelines patrolling Georgetown to a championship there in 1984 in the Kingdom in Seattle against the Akeem Olajuwon-led Houston Cougars. And just sad that he has passed, as well as Cliff Robinson, way too soon. Both impacts on both college basketball and the NBA. And then finally, I have to throw this out, only because he played Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. And sadly, passed away on the day that they remembered Jackie Robinson in baseball, which was the anniversary of him signing his first contract, Branch Rickey, Brooklyn Dodgers, 1945. And then two years later, he played his first game, April 15th in 1947, is the one Chadwick Boseman. It sent shockwaves throughout the world, the impact that he had and the roles that he played. And we know the roles, whether it's Jackie Robinson, James Brown, obviously King T'Challa, which I finally got to see, embarrassingly enough. And I know, shame on me, I'm not a big Marvel guy. I understand the popularity of this movie. So if you want to destroy me on that, you certainly can. But the, his passing and what he had to go through in his final four years of his life, having to battle colon cancer and unfortunately succumbing to that, just showing his true strength, class, dignity, etc. Him dying at the age of 43. Uh, I tell you, just uh, back to back to back, it seems, in the sports world and then outside of the sports world. But of course, the impact that he had in his first big role as Jackie Robinson, one of the great Americans that this country has ever produced. And that's right. Look him up if you don't know who Jackie Robinson is. And if you don't know, then shame on you. But... Those guys will certainly not be forgotten. Thoughts, prayers go out to the Robinson, the Thompson, and the Bozeman family as uh, they try to get through just the tough losses of those three gentlemen. And that's a tough way to segue into my Hero and Zero of the Week, but my Hero of the Week goes to Mackenzie Alexander. He of the Cincinnati Bengals, a cornerback, where he left camp to go search for his father who was out on a trip in Kissimmee picking palmetto berries in the woods and sadly they couldn't find him at first only because he did not have a cell phone with him so they were unable to track him and who knows what his odyssey was like in the woods his father being Jean Adney Alexander was reported missing on Monday but they found him later in the week so thankfully that they were able to do so and I know there was a little bit of a scuffle in between Alexander and his journey to get to Florida to find his father but bottom line and big picture is that he was found Thankfully, safe. So at least some good news there. So Mackenzie Alexander, he is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, I know I couldn't help myself. I said it earlier. I'm going to say it again. Three words. Brody Van Wagenen, GM of the New York Mets, for all the reasons I said before with the whole incident with him calling out Rob Manfred when he didn't have the whole story and everything that ensued after that. So Brody, my man, you are my zero of the week. So that'll do it for episode 152. People, I greatly appreciate you taking the time out to download and listen to what it is I have to say about the world of sports. I thank you twice more than once. You know I'm appreciative for your participation in doing so. And please spread the word to those who like sports, love sports, the casual sports fan, the diehard sports fan, as I would just love to get the word out to everybody. So please feel free, if you haven't done so already, to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, so many platforms that are out there. Well, I hope you have already subscribed. And if you haven't, do so. Also, leave a rating, post a review, because what that'll do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, and in turn will generate interest for those outside of the j Reels podcast who aren't familiar with me, the podcast, etc., whether it's the former or current athlete, the sports writer, the blogger, the broadcaster, the studio host, whomever it may be, as I try to get those guests, and I know it's been about a month since I've had somebody grace the airwaves with me to share their experience about what's happening in the world of sports. So people, if you could do that, again, grateful and thankful and appreciative of your participation. Also, if you want to follow me on any of my social media accounts, keep you up to date with what's happening with baseball and the Major League Trade Deadline. And get my thoughts on if anything does shake down between now and 4 o'clock. You could do so at the following on Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast, which is strictly sports. On Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page. And if you want to send me an email the old fashioned way with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. 
please send them forward. I'll be sure to follow up with you ASAP. Also, I do have a Patreon account. If you want to support my work as I trudge and plod and continue to build this podcast from the ground up, remember, this is a solo enterprise. There's just me. I do not have interns or a staff that I'm working with. Everything I do is through me. So if you want to support that, I would, again, forever and greatly appreciate it, which is on my Patreon page at www.patreon. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N, as in Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you can contribute, again, I'll be thankful and grateful for that contribution because whether you do or do not know, 152 episodes in the books. I plan to do 152,000 more as long as the good Lord has me on this planet because all I love to do is talk about everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.